please take your Bibles and go to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, chapter 2. If you're visiting with us, you need a Bible, uh, the Bible in the chair in front of you. There's a black Bible. You can pull that out. Go to the back, find page 163. You'd find 1 Timothy, chapter 2, page 163. 1 Timothy 2, we're going to do the first eight verses. We're just trucking through this first letter to Timothy by Paul. It's God's manual for church life. God's manual for church life. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 8. Let me read this. Therefore, first of all, I urge entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanks be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are being in authority so that we may live a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and respect. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God one mediator also between God and men, man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony at the proper time, unto which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I speak truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Verse 8, therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Listen to this quote. I found this. You extol me so much, your high opinion of me shames and tortures me since, unfortunately, I sit here like a fool and harden in leisure. Pray little. Do not sigh for the church of God. In short, I should be ardent in spirit, but I am ardent in the flesh, in lust, laziness, leisure, sleepiness. Already eight days have passed in which I've written nothing, in which I've not prayed or studied. This is partly because of temptations of the flesh, partly because I'm tortured by other burdens, end quote. You know who said that? Martin Luther. Unbelievable that someone like Martin Luther, wait, wait, eight days? He didn't pray or read the Bible? Unbelievable that someone like Martin Luther would say such a thing. I think there's another quote that's in there. He's, oh, I have so much to do. I have to, so I have to start work, so I have to wake up and pray for three hours, right? Yeah. And yeah, you have this quote. I mean, if he said this, what does it say about us? What does it say about us as a church when we gather together? It said... No prayer is like having a vacuum turned on when it's not plugged in. 
usually doesn't work. Community prayer is vital within a church. Uh, another person said this, quote, anything that can undercut the church's prayer life is an attack on her very existence as a church, end quote. Anything that can undercut community prayer when the church of God, when the body of Christ gathers together, anything that undercuts that, that's an attack on our very existence. It's striking how as you come to this part in Paul's first letter to Timothy. Remember, this is God's manual for church life. The how-tos on church life. And the very first thing, notice, first of all, Paul says, community prayer. First of all, this on community prayer. Is that, you know, like your manual, when you get your manual, when you're trying to put something together, this is for all you ladies I'm speaking to, all you men, I know you don't use this. You open up the manual and then you see the end, uh, you know, they put page numbers here on community prayer is the first thing. God calls us to pray and specifically for the men to breathe the prayer warriors. Usually you find the women being prayer warriors, which I don't, Paul's not saying that that's bad. Nor would I even say that. But it's the men who should rise up in the church and be the ones who pray. Uh, when the church body gathers together, I'm just saying different ways, I'm putting in statements for you. The church body gathers together to worship God, God calls and expects the men to lead the church body by praying. You have two aspects, actually three, where that happens. Two from me, one from another man. Another gentleman, another member in the church. And God calls us to pray. And specifically what you see that from verse 8, which we'll look at that in a moment, the men to lead in that way. Another way to say it, when it comes to the church body gathering together to worship God, God wants the men to pray for all kinds of people even more specific, to pray for our civil government, for those who are in authority. This, this letter gives us good instructions on how we function when we gather together as a church body. Remember, this is Paul writing to Timothy to the church. This is how I want you to direct the, the people there in Ephesus. And these principles are not just for the first century but for the 21st century and even into the 31st century. When we assemble together, what should it look like? A couple weeks ago, what was our goal? Love out of a pure heart, out of a good conscience, out of a sincere faith. That was the goal. We gathered together. What was the means to the goal? The gospel. It's all about the gospel. God is a just God where sinners, Jesus died for sinners, repent and trust Christ. Everything, it's all about the gospel because that's the only means by which 
God brings about the goal of love out of a pure heart, out of a good conscience, out of a sincere faith. And now Paul began to give even more specific instructions. Now he starts to deal with even more specific things of what God wants to take place in his church when, when we're to, how we're to conduct ourselves in the household of God. And first, the men pray for all kinds of individuals, specifically those in authority and in power. Oh, oh. Is this not timely? Is this not timely? You know, it, do, it doesn't matter what you think who won the election. You should be praying for both of those men. Because at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, I'm going to say it, both those men are going to hell. Do you even care about that? One of them said he didn't need to be forgiven. The other's bent on Roman Catholic doctrine, which you know damns you. What more can we say? Do we not care about that? The purpose of this is civil peace, he'll say, and, and godly living before people. And the basis is it's good and pleasing to God, the Savior, who desires all sorts of people to be saved since Jesus paid the ransom for all sorts, all kinds of people. He died for Gentiles, not just for Jews. And Paul knew this because he was an apostle to the Gentiles. The the thought is pray for all kinds of people because God saves all kinds of people. You never know who God is going to save, so pray for them. How do you know God's not going to save that gay guy? How do you know God's not going to save that lesbian? How do you know God's not going to save that Antifa guy? How do you know that? How do you know he can't save a white supremacist? How do you know he can't save Trump and Biden? How do you know that? You know what's the amazing part? Here's the amazing part. We'll just look at it in a little bit more a little bit later on. God's decreed will is brought about by us praying. That's an amazing statement in and of itself. That God would even do that. God's compassion reaches humans irrespective of their race, social status, financial well-being, or any other condition, he will show his grace to whomever he wills. Romans chapter 9, 15 to 16. I will have mercy upon whom I have mercy. I have compassion on whom I have compassion. It's not for you to judge that. And, and again, I've started out this way, and although the um, introduction with Martin Luther's quote that came across is about individual prayer. We're not talking about you having individual prayer time in your personal life. This is not what that's about. I'm not saying that that's not, that you shouldn't have that. But the text is not talking about that. This is about corporate church gathering community prayer, not your personal individual prayer time. It's not talking about that. So don't, don't be thinking that. I mean, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do that. It doesn't mean you and your personal time with the Lord, you shouldn't have a personal time and praying. I'm not saying that. But this passage does not have to do with that. It has to do with corporate prayer, community prayer. 
when the church gathers together, we're called to pray. Verse 1 and 2, notice, first of all, therefore, after talking about the goal, after talking about the means to that goal, Paul urged the church to proactively pray, specifically for all men, he's going to delineate that in just a moment, all kinds of men, pray as the church gathers together to worship Christ. And notice he gives four specific words. Entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanks. Four prayer words. Entreaties. It's for a particular benefit or need. Prayer is just a general word for prayer. Uh, your, your devotion to Christ, to the Lord. Petitions means you appeal to Him with urgency and boldness and childlike confidence. And thanks, you give gratitude. This is the action to take when there's internal conflict in a church. You'll see that later on in verse 8. You take your eyes off of yourself and onto others. You're praying for them. And then outside of that, So we make requests for specific needs. We bring those before God. We appeal boldly on their behalf, giving thanks. This is what our prayer should look like for all sorts, all kinds of people. And notice, he gets specific. For kings, verse 2, and for all who are in authority. Specifically, one kind of persons, the civil authorities. The ones who were supreme rulers and who was ruling at this time as Paul was writing Nero you know just to tell you, you you may be wanting Trump to be president and you're freaked out if Biden becomes president you, you know what if we can weather through Nero as Christians we can weather through anybody Nero was a psychopath Right? That guy was crazy. If, if, if we as Christians, our forefathers can weather through Nero, we can, it's okay. We can weather through anybody. Don't, don't forget, I sent this to a friend of mine, Matthew 16. I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot stand against it. I mean, is that true or is it true? I mean, it's true. <laughs> Do we believe that or not? Pray for Nero. I'm sorry, what did you just say? Yeah, pray for Nero. Yeah. We call upon the sovereign one asking him to work his will through these earthly kings placed there by his sovereign will. God was the one who placed them there. God was the one who put him there. They're there to do his bidding, right? Don't, don't we believe that? You know, it's, it's amazing that our very prayers can affect the national and foreign policies of our country. It can. Do not underestimate God. 
pray. He's going to give two reasons. Why? Because first, it produces godly peace with the government. You see that in verse 2. On behalf of kings and all who are in authority, so that, here's the purpose, we may live, literally live, a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So what's the practical purpose? That we may live a tranquil and quiet life. Tranquil means uh, untroubled from without. From outward disturbance. Okay? Quiet peace within ourselves. One writer says this, it's, quote, freedom from the turmoil that threatened to thwart Paul's ministry. Freedom from turmoil that threatened to thwart the ministry of this church. And notice what he says, you live a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Godliness means piety. Our beliefs and action, you're a God-fearer. It's the outward evidence of genuine faith in Christ. Dignity means a seriousness, worthy of respect. It affects your outward attitude and, and your internal intention. In all godliness and outward evidence of genuine faith in Christ, in all dignity, all this worthy of respect, it produces godly peace with the government. How can we avoid an offense to others that would inhibit the goal of being able to proclaim the gospel? We pray corporately. So look at Paul saying here. As we expound this text, Paul encouraged Christians to pray for all sorts of people, specifically those in authority. So we will show ourselves to be quiet, tranquil people, not troublemakers, displaying in our actions and our attitudes that we fear God, trust God, and worship God. That's what he calls us to do. That's the response. And that's what happens when we have community prayer. Uh, One writer says this, quote, that we might live daily lives free of the controversies and conflicts that might arise with people of power. Not so we can be comfortable, but that we might outwardly, fully, and appropriately evidence the inward reality of our faith relationship with God through Christ, end quote. Now, this calls for wisdom, doesn't it? Because you have two things that we hold as Americans. On the one hand, for us as Americans, we have rights given to us by the Constitution, don't we? So we have those. Paul himself used rights given him as a Roman citizen to further the gospel. Do you remember in the book of Acts? He was in the temple. The Jews arrested him. They're about to beat the living tar out of him. Rome came. They rescued him. And they strapped him down. And they're about to beat him. And he's like, uh, 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 do you beat a Roman citizen before he's for trial? And they're like, oh. And I say, what? And uh, so then they went to the commander and said, hey, this guy's a Roman citizen. He's like, hey, you're a Roman citizen? He's like, yeah. He's like, hey, I purchased my Roman citizenship. He's like, I was born one. They're like, oh, ah. 
They all backed away. They took their hands off them because they were freaking out. It's one thing to have the papers. another thing when you were born a Roman citizen. So Paul used that. He used his rights to further the gospel. See, you have this in one hand. Based upon the Constitution, we, we have certain liberties guaranteed. But yet at the same time, we need to be a people who are not troublemakers. but who truly display that we believe God is in charge. He rules over all people, especially those authorities. And thus we pray for them, which can draw harsh criticism from others. This is where it calls for wisdom, doesn't it? It's hard to navigate, especially with the things going on today. By the way, um, I had a conversation with somebody about you know, prayer and he said, well, you know, that's all you do is just pray. Um, as far as Paul was concerned, prayer is not a non-action. In other words, it's not, well, we can't do anything. All we can do is pray. If you were to say that, Paul would probably slap you. What's wrong with you? That's ridiculous. Prayer is a big deal because it shows what we truly believe about God and it calms us down. As, as, and we're talking about, again, corporate community prayer coming together or praying. So as he says, the first reason, because it, it brings about a godly living peace with the government. That's the first reason. Second reason he gives, it pleases God and is the means God uses to save sinners. This pleases God. He likes it. He likes to hear when the body comes together to pray. Notice what it says here in verse 3. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Prayer is encouraged by the fact that it is good and pleasing to notice God, God our Savior, God our Savior, who is the originator and initiator of salvation. You did not originate your salvation. You did not initiate your salvation. God did. When, when we remember that God is our Savior, saving us by His mercy and grace, we will be urged to pray for other sinners since God was merciful and gracious to us. We are sinners indeed, aren't we? We are just we are here as a bunch of sinners in need of grace just as much as everybody else, just as much as anybody else. Right? I should be hearing a bunch of amens to that. <laughs> it's true. We are sinners in need of grace. And we have that perspective like, oh, God has been so gracious and merciful to me. How come I'm not praying for these people too? Notice he says the next part here. Verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth? What's God's attitude toward all sorts of people? God desires all sorts of people, all kinds of people to be saved. Yes, yes, even those civil authorities. Yes, even Donald J. Trump. Yes, even Joe Biden. Yes, even Kamala Harris. Yes, even them. How do you know, O Christian? If God will not use your prayer to save them, how will you know a Christian if God will not use your prayer to save that lesbian gal? 
How do you know? You don't. You don't. And herein lies the mystery. What? Notice he's bringing up prayer and salvation. Look, God decrees everything that happens, right? Everything. All the little decisions we make, all the big decisions, everything has been decreed by God. Nothing is outside of God's decree. And yet, he also decreed the means to his end. And one of the means he decreed is prayer. So our prayer is the means God uses to bring about his sovereign decreed will for that person to be saved. For that person to be saved. This is truly amazing. And it's humbling that God would do that. That God uses the means of us praying for that person and they'll be saved. There's all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. All men, Jews and Gentiles. A truth Paul continually contended against with Jews and Judaizers, possibly even with these false teachers who were so into the law. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago? And when he says to be saved, that phrase is parallel to the next phrase, to come to the knowledge of the truth. To become Jesus' followers. In other words, to come to know the person and work of Christ Jesus in the gospel. That you see Jesus for all he is. He died for my sins. He resurrected from the dead. I repent. I put my trust in Jesus. That gospel truth. That truth. So God desires that all sorts, all kinds of people will have a personal response to him in Christ and the gospel. So we should pray for them. One writer says this, quote, God desires all people, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, ruled and ruler, etc., to be saved, and this should elicit our prayers for all people. Don't blow off anyone because you never know. You never know. And look, here, here's the basis for God's desire for all kinds of people to be saved. Look at verse five. For there's one God one mediator also between God and men, man, Christ Jesus. The basis for God's desire for all kinds of people to be saved is the mediatorship of Christ and his sufficient sacrifice. I mean, look at what he says here. There's one God. So there's not many gods. And there's not many ways to God. And the one God we know he's talking about is the God of the Old Testament. Yahweh God. He's the only God. There is no other God. And notice second. First, there's one God, one mediator also between God and men. There's one mediator between us and God. And he says, there's no article there. That's why I translate it as man, Christ Jesus. Man knows he's trying to emphasize the quality of the fact that Jesus Christ was human. So God provided one mediator between himself and humanity and that mediator is none other than the God-man. This emphasizes the humanity of Christ 
as well as his exclusivity for salvation. There is no other person, there's no other name by which we must be saved. It's only Jesus. There's no other way. There's no many ways to God. You must trust Christ or you will be condemned. Christ is God's representative and the only representative from God. That's what Paul's saying. He's the mediator. He's the one who brings us together. It's the God-man, Christ Jesus, emphasizing his lordship, emphasizing who he is, the Messiah, Jesus. He's the one who brings us together. And, and, and in what way did he serve as the mediator? In what way does, does Jesus bring us together? Verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all. He gave his life as payment, and this payment sacrifice was totally sufficient. He was a substitute ransom. This is what the word means. It actually has an art um, preposition in front of it, anti. So substitute ransom. He's the exchange price he paid for sinners. The word means a price paid to free captives. Jesus paid the ransom price so that you can be set free. And he didn't pay that ransom to Satan. No, no. Jesus paid the ransom to the Father who should judge all sinners by unleashing his wrath on them by eternal judgment forever. But Christ paid the ransom to God resulting in our salvation. You're no longer a slave. You've been freed. And and now you belong to God. When Christ died on the cross, it was not some potential atonement. It was actual atonement, actual forgiveness, no more debt, it's gone. You're forgiven. The debt is paid. You're free. You're free. Christ paid the ransom as a mediator for all sorts of people. Thus we're to pray for them. And that ransom was sufficient. You don't need something else. You don't need some work. You don't need to do this. You don't need to do that. All you need is the sufficient ransom price of Christ. That's it. And trusting Christ. That's it. Christ paid the ransom for all sorts of people, for all kinds of people. Now, I want to be clear here with this passage. just so that we understand. I want to be clear. This passage does not teach that Jesus died for everyone who's ever lived. It does not teach that. What's called unlimited atonement. It does not mean that Jesus Christ died for everybody. He only died for his elect. He only died for his people. The context shows this to be true. From verse 1 into verse 2. He died for all kinds of people. What's also known as particular redemption, which is my position. This is what the passage means, and Cottonwood Bible Church is our position too as a church. 
And you don't have to believe this to be saved, praise God, or even to be a member of this church. But this is true from God's word. But even if you don't believe that, I disagree with that, we all would agree to this. Jesus died for all sorts of people, all kinds of people, millions upon millions of people from all sorts of backgrounds, social status, ethnicity, skin color, even for those in civil government. We just don't know who yet. So remember, prayer is the means that God used to bring about his will. So pray as a community. And notice what he says here, the next part. In verse 6, the testimony at the proper time. What's that testimony? What's testifying? Well, it's testifying to God being the Savior, that, that He's merciful and gracious, who loves to save sinners. God is not some sick, sadistic God who goes, I've got to save sinners, whatever. I wish I didn't have to do that. Oh, come on. He's got, that's not God. Do you remember, that's why we read that in Ezekiel 33, 11. I don't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's not some sadistic, sick person who goes like, <laughs> that's not God. He's not like that. If you're not a Christian here today, he says, come, I will save you. I will forgive you. I will love you. I will pour out my grace upon you. That's what he says, come, if you don't know Jesus. Repent, trust Christ. And you can trust that the ransom has been paid for you. That's the testimony. Christ and his death testified to God being the Savior, merciful and gracious to us. And notice what Paul says, look at verse 7. And for this, literally, unto which I was appointed. What, what's the which? The testimony. So Paul was appointed by God to testify as a preacher, an apostle, and teacher of the Gentiles. He was appointed by God to be a preacher. What's a preacher? Herald, ambassador, messenger. The herald just, just gave the message. He's, no, he's, no, he's in no position to change it. You can't do that. You can't change the message. You don't do that. You can't change them. You can change the Bible. And notice he says, an apostle. He's sent with the authority of Christ as God's spokesman. And notice he immediately adds, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. For those who may have doubted or challenged his authority as a true apostle, because he's one of the twelve, he's not a real apostle. Jesus truly called him. And notice he says not just, uh, he's a preacher, he's a herald, he's a, an apostle, but notice he says he's a teacher of the Gentiles. He explained and expounded on the truth. So notice, Paul spoke the truth, had authority to speak the truth, and taught the truth. That's Paul. So the truth is that Jesus ransomed God saves, that's the truth. That's the testimony. He says, I'm a herald of this message. 
I'm a, I have authority to preach this message and I teach this message. And this is for the Gentiles, to non-Jews. He's an apostle to the Gentiles. He's a preacher to the Gentiles. He was a teacher to the Gentiles, calling them to notice the next part, the last part, verse seven, in faith and truth. Faith, which corresponds to save, from verse four, and truth, which corresponds to the part in verse four, come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul was appointed as a preacher of the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul was appointed an apostle sent by Christ to the Gentiles. And Paul was a teacher to the Gentiles. The truth is for all sorts of people. That was Paul's calling. So here he tells us, God desires all sorts of people to be saved. There's the two reasons he gives why we pray. Now, verse eight actually tells us how. How do we pray? And that question is gonna be answered in a way that you probably don't want to expect. He repeats the command. Look at verse eight. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray. So when the body comes together, now he's being more specific. Pray, okay, corporate prayer, community prayer. Now he's, he's specific. When the body comes together, the men should lead in this way. The men of a church give leadership in public prayer as they lead the time when God's people gather together to worship him. So I want to be clear with something else as well. I was cleared about in reference to particular redemption. I want to be clear again. Men are called to lead God's church, not women. And we're talking about the church. We're talking about politics. We're talking about within the church. And you're going to see more of this next week, so I encourage you. So we go through 9 through 15, which is one of the most hotly debated passages in all of Scripture. I want the men in every place. What does that mean? The various million places of the body. We have the privilege for all of us to meet here in one building. They didn't have that privilege in the first century. Well, they probably did that in the temple. But as years wore on, you couldn't meet in the temple. And you couldn't have like more than 50 or 60 people. Tops, maybe 60. But once you start doing that, Rome is going to be like, oh, hey, what are you guys doing? You guys planning something? You couldn't do that in the Roman Empire. You couldn't have like 200 people meet in one place. You'd be like, what's going on? So you had house churches, different house churches, and other groups meeting together. So the men are called to give leadership to these body gatherings. And notice, now he answers the question, how do you pray? First, with holy lives. He says, lifting up holy hands, a very Old Testament type action. You see that a lot in the Old Testament. Remember Solomon, he was raising his hands, lifting up his hands when he was praying, consecrating the new temple. And it's a way to emphasize seriousness, urgency of prayer, especially for those in civil authority. And the holy hands display holy lives. See, their entire lives are holy to the Lord, so they lift up holy hands to pray. How should the men pray? With holy lives, but also without anger and arguing. Notice he says this, without wrath and dissension, unresolved conflicts lead to bitterness. That's not the kind of attitude men should have within Christ's body. 
One writer says this, a life and attitude of forgiveness is necessary for effective prayer. Without dissension, which means disputing, arguing. Barriers are built between us and God when barriers are built between believers. The sins of men affect the prayer livelihood of the church. Men were called to be one in Christ and when we're not, it will mar our community prayer. True prayer cannot exist alongside anger or disputing. In other words, our attitude toward others affects our approach to God, our community approach to God. It affects that. That's how we should pray as men with holy lives and without anger and arguing because disunity can destroy our, our prayer life and actually render our prayers null and void as a body. When it comes to the church body gathering together to worship God, God wants us to pray specifically men for all kinds of people, to pray for all kinds of people, even more specific, to pray for those in civil government, those civil authorities. When the church body gathers together to worship God, God calls and expects the men to lead the body by praying. And again, we're all called to pray as a corporate body when we commune together, but he's calling, God calls to pray specifically for the men, for you men, you members, you should be part of this. To be the prayer warriors. When you hear like Kalen or other guys praying, you should grab a hold of that and be praying. That's why we do that. So you're actually praying with us. You're actually praying with me. You're actually praying with Daniel or Kalen or Aaron or Travis, whoever, or one of the members. You're actually praying with us. It's so good. Let's ask, let's pray now and ask the Spirit to work in us as His body. And we do pray for that. Oh Spirit, work in us as your body that we as your body would not have anger or arguing. We'll have holy lives and even specifically for us as the men. We would lead in that way and we need your grace. And we thank you for your grace that you give to us in Christ Jesus. I thank you that you're molding us and shaping us. Do that in your church. I thank you that you are doing that. And, and we, we see that taking place. It's exciting to see that. Keep doing your work. Take this time, just a few moments if you would between you and the Lord to pray. Maybe to reflect upon the passage. Pray for God to work in your heart. Uh, Maybe you want to pray for the church. Whichever. Make this a time of personal prayer. Between you and the Lord. And and, you know, we sing a couple songs and then we'll pray. But this quiet time between you and the Lord. Just a few moments. Do that, please, right now. <laughs>